Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. In this podcast, we talk to experts in and around the analytics industry. One week, we may talk to a data scientist from a FANG tech company. Then the next week, we may talk to a data engineer or business analyst, or even I may pull one of my consulting clients so you get to hear from an executive on how they use data to drive business decisions day in and day out. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm the founder of Silvertone Analytics, which is a boutique consulting agency that focuses on analytics for medium to small size businesses. I'm also a professor at Greensboro College, where I teach analytics. Most recently, I have founded the Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program, which melds these two job functions together. This is your opportunity to work directly with me and one of my clients. The Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program is a three-month program. In the first month, you're going to be completing the Analytics Foundation Certification backed by Greensboro College. Then in month two, you're going to be taking that knowledge base that you developed in month one and applying it out in the field where you're going to be working with one of my client's executive teams where you're going to be solving a business problem using data and analytics tools. Then in the third month, we're going to bring it all together with a full month of career services. Now, this is going to be quite a bit different than the typical career services at a university or a college. Here, I'm going to help you build a professional brand around where you are as an analyst. So in the first month, you have worked with a ton of different data sets. We're going to take the data sets that really resonate with you to help you hone in on your ideal entry-level job. We're going to build a Tableau public portfolio around that area of expertise. We're going to razor focus your resume and LinkedIn. And I'm also going to coach you on how to talk about yourself in an interview setting. So if you're ready to break into the analytics space, 
head over to learn.silvertonianalytics/apprenticeship and there you can learn more about the program and if you're interested you can apply with all that being said let's start the podcast episode Hello and welcome back to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. So today I'm going to be interviewing my new friend Lee. So Lee's a, actually in a very similar situation as I am. As you, Lee, you're consulting and you're also teaching, which I is am. interesting. I was just talking to someone about how interesting it is having one foot in academia and then one foot in kind of the business world. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a really interesting place to be in. But um, third foot in the grave. <laughs> Yeah, basically. I mean, I'm I'm working like all the time right now. But how about so we're going to talk about data storytelling, but before we get into that, why don't you I gave you kind of a quick intro, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about your journey and kind of where you fit into the analytics space? Yeah. So I have a consulting company which is me called Decision Viz. And our focus is on really helping clients build what we call an army of trustworthy decision makers. And it's, it, and we go that route because that's really the end goal of, of all of this work, whether, you know, analytics, data visualization, storytelling, what, however you want to put all those pieces together, the ultimate goal is to help people make decisions and to make more people that can make decisions because it's very limited today. If you think about how most companies are set up, there's very few people who really make the decisions and having more access to data, becoming better at analytics will enable more people to be able to do that, which should help companies perform better overall. If more people can be involved with, with that kind of a, of work in addition to just their, whatever their kind of line role is. Gotcha. All right. So are you doing a lot of Tableau? Like, how are you, how are you implementing that? Like, how, how are you making be- people better decision makers? So it's, they're using data to drive their decisions? Yeah. So I'm very involved with the Tableau world. But mm-hmm. if you think about the idea of, let's just call it data storytelling for, for the moment, and we can get into more about what that means. If you think about it to the way we might tell a story today. Let's say we were going to to sit down and write a story and we were going to use Microsoft Word to, to type it all out. I would use the same kind of skills that I use to, to type it out as I would if I was going to write it on a piece of paper with a pen or a pencil, whatever that mechanism is. And so I look at data storytelling the same way that there's a set of principles that you have to learn and then you should be able to apply them to any type of way of doing the writing. Now, of course, if it's, you're doing it with software, every software has its own uh, way of doing things. And so you might be able to do certain things in one and then the other you know, from, from that in terms of how you could enhance the story uh, from, from that perspective. But you need to know the basics to, to be able to, to do it. And it's not about 
whether you know where the where the items are on a menu or things like that in the, in the software to to make the story uh, make sense. Gotcha. All right. So you're in the consulting world. Tell us a little bit about um, what's been your experience. So you're a professor who's teaching a Tableau class at NYU right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. How's that so, going? Well, it's it just finished, so that that's that's a good thing. All the grades just went in this week, <laughs> and as you know, that the the work of grading projects is is a lot that goes on behind the scenes, outside of just the all the preparation for the the course. It it's really kind of interesting, in fact, because I wasn't really involved with education until maybe about seven or eight years ago, in any fashion. And I had a lot of customers asking me if I could teach them the framework that I had developed around data storytelling. And I wasn't sure that I could because teaching somebody how to do something that you know is not the same as you doing it. You have to really be able to break it down into a way that you can Mm -hmm. explain it. And so that's really where my kind of journey, if you want to call it that, into education happened. And then the more I got involved with teaching that program and developing an online portion of that uh, over the last couple of years. And then just about a year ago, a friend of mine who also teaches a data visualization class at NYU referred me over there. There was one of the professors was leaving and they went through the whole interview process like you would for any other job. And so I've been teaching there for about a year as an adjunct and uh, kind of in parallel to that, I got involved with another university at university of Chicago. I'm actually developing a program for them for their capstone analytics program, which is not quite data storytelling, but it's a, it's a program on communications and it's it's all around data, but it's around your their analytics work and how to be more persuasive in Ooh. somebody who's gone through all the work of crunching the data and running algorithms and coming up with some kind of recommendation. But how do you then present that to, in this case, it's a, a client, it's a real external company they're working with. How do you present it to them in a way that's not just about the project? Right. We got all the data and we <laughs> cleaned it and we we ran all these different algorithms. Right. It's more. OK, I say that's, that's a huge problem. Most analysts do not know how to. Well, I think that what they what the general kind of, uh, I guess, conventional wisdom is you need to be an effective communicator, which I think falls short of what it really means. Like mm-hmm. what you really need is influence skills. You need yeah. to be you need to have some sales skills, essentially. Um, have you, have you heard of this book called pitch anything? Pitch. I don't, I don't have that one. So, um, this guy was, I think he is putting together like venture capital deals. And he was mm-hmm. talking about how, um, when he is selling the deal, he's selling the idea and kind mm-hmm. of like the end product to where, um, what happens in a lot of these deals is they get completely derailed because an analyst will come in and start talking about, hyper-specific numbers. And then the investor, the one who has the dollars, just gets totally bored and tunes out. And then that feeling they had of like, oh, well, I could invest $100 million in this project and all this good can come away 
instead of focusing on that that big picture, the the analyst is saying, yeah, well, according to this algorithm, we can do blah 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 blah, and right. it's it almost intimidates them, and it, it just like completely deflates that excitement they have. And I think that's something that a lot of technical people really struggle with is that they don't understand how decision makers, executives, business owners, like what resonates with them. Yeah. And I, and I go through this a lot. And the, the first thing I tell them is it's not your fault. The reason I say <laughs> that is you're not born knowing how to do that. Mm-hmm. And if nobody teaches you how to do that, how would you know, right? You've, you had somebody teach you the algorithms and the number crunching side of it. So that's why you know how to do that. But if no one ever taught you some of those kind of communication skills or persuasion skills or selling skills, how would you know? And so right. it's, it, there's, there's, for some reason, there's this, I guess, expectation that people just will be, know how to do that. And, and it's completely one unrealistic and it's unfair to those people, right? Uh, that, that they should. It's they not should concrete. It. It's really hard to teach sales. Mm-hmm. So I, before I went back to get my MBA, I sold insurance door, 100% commission door to door. Wow. So there are some people who were just naturally gifted at it. And they mm-hmm. just had the gift to gab. Also, too, they had like a network already built up. But there's sales training and there seems to be. I don't, it, a lot of it seems woo woo and not concrete to where you can say, all right, I have X amount of Tableau skills, or I know advanced Excel. It, you can't really mm-hmm. say that, oh, I have a mid-tier sales acumen. Like it, right. it doesn't really break down that way. Um, and I think a lot of analysts are just kind of intimidated or not even intimidated. Maybe they just devalue it. And I'm, what's, what's your take on that? Yeah. I mean, part of it is trying to te- not trying to turn them into salespeople. I think is more of helping them change their mindset from, yeah, I'm going to tell you all about this and understanding. And, and I, and that essentially the, when you're in this case with the students that whoever they're working with assumes that they, that they're good at what they're doing. They -hmm. assume that you've, that the, the university has taught you how to go through the numbers and, and, and do the evaluations and so forth. So all the stuff that they want to talk about, the client is kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> number one, like you said, I don't need, I don't necessarily need to know it. Uh, one, it might intimidate them and they might tune out because they, they, they don't know all, if they knew all that, they wouldn't need you to, to do the work for right, them. Right. And so, Telling somebody who's just spent six months to nine months working on a project that basically no one wants to hear about the project, what they want to hear about is what's in it for me. Right. How is it going to help me make money, save money, change my business? And that's what they need to focus on. And then they can talk about some of the other pieces, but you can't, you certainly can't lead with that. Yeah. And I, well, I think kind of the way that I think about it is, I start with the end recommendation. So business owner, I think you should do X, Y, Z. And then it's surprising to them and they might push back and say, Hey, that's not how we typically run our business. Then you get into some more detail. And then if they really continue to push back, you can kind of pull back the onion and get deeper and deeper into the nuance of it. But you don't start there. I think a lot of um, analysts 
think about it flipped because what impresses them right. is something that is super complex and takes hours and hours of time to like, I don't know, craft the nuance out of it to where business owners, they don't have enough time. They, they want a decision and they want to know the risk. They want to know the potential return. It's, it's, it's almost like kindergarten math. Like they want, they want to know like high, high level 5,000 foot view where, where are we headed? Right. We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David's students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, and that goes back to the whole idea of influencing and communication and and even the selling aspect of that, which is understanding mm-hmm. that that's what's important, right? Like you said, they don't understand what you're trying to do. And that's why even this idea of data storytelling is in some ways a bit dangerous because what does that even mean? And if you talk to a lot of people, they'll all give you probably a different answer as to what a data story is, right? If it's just just a kind of a generic term, which means you have data and you want to tell people about the data, but how you do that and what the goal of that is can be very different. And I think that's a lot of problem we run into in in the space that I operate in, even when you talk about things like data literacy and data culture, there's all mm-hmm. these terms that are, 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 are thrown out that I think have a, a, a lot of potential. There's a lot of merit in them to get people thinking, but they're just used and 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 when they don't when they don't have something back behind it, then it just gets it doesn't it doesn't gain traction, right? Just the same yeah. way even data visualization, you know, a lot of people think, oh, data visualization, I make charts. Yeah, any software can make charts, but you can even make bad, you can still make bad charts with that software. It's not like I always mm-hmm. joke that I wish when I did something, you mentioned Tableau and I'm, 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 and I love, I'm the biggest Tableau supporter, right? But, but there's certain things you can do in so- any software that are technically possible, but not necessarily a good idea. And I always say to people, I wish there was a, when I did something in Tableau or somebody did something in Tableau, it came up with a little box and it said, are you really sure you want to do that? (laughs) Right. And it might tell you why you didn't, what you should think of. It shouldn't just say that, right. But give you some options or some reasoning behind it. Because again, people don't know. And there's almost an assumption that if the software is letting me do it, it must be okay. 
because it, why would it? Mm. It would if it's smart, it would stop me from making a pie chart with seventeen slices <laughs> on it, and you know, think right. The the but pie it chart, it's, it's the cardinal sin of analytics, right there, visual right. analytics. <laughs> yeah. So, All right, but it so lets, lets me. So probably okay. We're having some uh, some activity in the chat. So Tim Leesman, uh, he's a podcast uh, friend, and he actually runs Code for Greensboro, which is a an analytics organization here locally. Um, he said, isn't that a famous book, Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? So I don't know, maybe. <laughs> and then we got Raj, who's a PhD student. Um, Akash, I don't know if he's been on here, but Akash, you said you have a question. So feel free to ask us a question in the live chat, and um, we'll circle back around to it um, whenever whenever we can. But um, all right, so talking about visual storytelling, are there principles that you – like have you thought through – like, okay, so the whole thesis of this podcast is how to get an analytics job. And I, I, mm-hmm. I've, like, distilled down their four bullet points of getting an analytics job. Number one is business acumen. Number two is analytics hard skills. Number three is personal branding. And then number four are your soft skills. So, like, those are the four guiding principles yeah. of are you working on these four things? Because if all you're doing is focusing on hard skills, which I, I don't know why that tends to be where people start. They It's like they... They, they just grow that muscle huge and then they don't know anything about business. They have no way of showing off their knowledge and they can't, they have no soft skills. They can't even talk about it. Like are there, yeah. so circling back to visual analytics, are there any principles that kind of guide your thought process throughout that? Yeah, I think there's, it actually in some ways goes back to that point about selling. Um, mm-hmm. A big part about selling is, Asking a good question and listening. And I find that a lot of people in our field want to just talk. I found this, I found this in the data and, you know, and they, and, and, it, and, it, and it even goes to the business side of it, which is, uh, you know, probably like you, I work with a lot of different industries and I don't really know much about any of them. Some I don't know anything about when I start. And I don't intend to learn a lot about them. What I need to know is enough to get the job done. I don't need to be mm. an expert, right, in, in a particular field. I just need to ask you the right kinds of questions and and kind of pull out the information from you. And again, that's a real, that's a kind of a sales skill, right, where you. It's say, active okay, listening active listening and asking mm-hmm. the right and, and thinking about the kinds of questions you want to get out of somebody. And I think that goes to the soft side where at, on the job, you, uh, a lot of people who are in data tend to be, I'll call them order takers. What do I mean? Yeah. If somebody comes in, it could be your boss. It could be your client outside the company, whatever it is. And says, um, I need, I need a bunch of data on the, this, 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 and this, or, you know, I need to know about these things. And then you go and do it. And you never really stop to ask why, because there's a, there's a mentality like, well, they're the boss, they're the client. I can't ask them why. And I, my argument is you have to ask them because you know what happens when you don't, what happens is you always come back and they go, that's not what I wanted. (laughs) Or even though that's like what they very, asked very for, com- but it's not what they wanted, which is not yeah. the same thing. 
It's a, well, it's a, or it's a convoluted solution to where you're like, oh, yeah, I could do, I could click this mouse here and then toggle this over. And then here you go. You know, it's well, th- that took me a while because when I first started consulting, I was essentially, I mean, it, it hit, I'm so stubborn. It, it took me probably a year to like get through my thick skull that being an independent consultant who is just seeking out clients who already think they know what they want is very, very much different than finding a client where they're like, okay, we have all this data. And we know that we need to use it, but we don't know how. So mm-hmm. kind of being like a an active listener and taking a more consultative, critical thinking bait driven approach to consulting, you come up with much more sophisticated solutions to where you're if you're an order taker, you're having someone who is not as data literate as you mm-hmm. conceptualize the projects to where they don't know what the capabilities of the tools, they don't know the conventional wisdom. They don't know what data is or is not available. So you're, yeah, that, that is a huge one that I think a lot of people, and that seems like a, a nuanced point going from entry level to mid to senior level, because I think when you're first starting out, you should absolutely be an order taker. Because if you come in, you're like, hey, Mr. President of this organization, you know, I'm a 21 year old recent grad, but I think you're doing your business all wrong. Right. You're going to look like a buffoon, you know, <laughs> like there's a certain there's a right. certain level to that, but yeah, I think that like, how did you go about like hitting that realization? Probably by just being frustrated <laughs> uh, of, of going through that as, you know, someone, and I didn't get into analytics in the early part of my career. I got involved with it kind of 10, 15 years in because I got more involved with working on the internet and we were trying to figure out how do we know that what we're doing works and mm. the internet was really the first time you could could measure things better right. than the typical kind of transactional information that you could you could get and so it was a bit it was a bit uncharted in terms of what we what we should even be doing and how would we do that and and so I was a little bit more seasoned, I think, in terms of the working with people and it wasn't out of the gate, but I did see that there was not a lot of thinking in terms of how to present that information. It was just chart after chart and cramming lots of pictures onto a page and, you know, huge PowerPoint decks with just page, you know, slide Mm -hmm. after slide of, of charts and I was like, what do we, you know, number one, it just took a ton of effort to create those things, right? I mean, you would have people and it's still, you still hear it today. So it hasn't gone away. People would say, well, I have to do a quarter uh, monthly readout and I have to start mid month to get it ready (laughs) for the, wow, or, or, or it's already the end of the month and I'm doing last month's report because it takes me two or three weeks to do it. And you just sit there and say, that is insane. I mean, just from an operational standpoint. And so I was thinking through a lot of that to try to mind, well, why are we doing that? And and this is, it, it just doesn't make sense. We have to have a better way to do this just from a personal perspective of not driving yourself nuts. And from a business perspective of actually doing something that has some value besides creating a report. I mean, the report 
to spend all that time on a report that either comes in too late or isn't really getting the, the point across of what you need. Why do it? Really Isn't that the definition of uh, high high quality data? It needs to be accurate and timely. If it yeah. doesn't come on time for you to make the decision, then it's worthless. Yeah. Well, the, just as a quick aside, the same thing goes for you hear a lot of time people say, I need that data in real time. And if you say, well, what decisions will you make with it in real time? They go, oh, no, we'll just we still just do a month monthly <laughs> review. So then you mm -hmm. don't need it real time. And they're, sometimes they understand that and sometimes they don't. But it's that it's that same kind of principle of understanding where it's going to fit into the, the flow. But that one always gets me. That's ridiculous. All right. We got Dan Sanchez. Yeah. OK, this is relating back to your comment about um, using the tool to its like maximum level of sophistication. So he said, Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park, your data <laughs> Your data scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great metaphor. And then oh, here's a good question. So Noor is asking, what are the right questions? Are there a set of basic questions, or does this just come from experience? That's. I was going to say that's a great question. Uh, so, the up. answer to that is both. I, there's some things to ask, and then it definitely comes from experience. There's there's no doubt about that. But when I say experience, I, I mean more the practice of asking the questions and getting mm -hmm. comfortable asking the questions. Because again, it goes back to that thought of they're the boss, they're the client, and I'll just do what they say. And I can't, I can't go against that to that. They see it as going against it when it's just asking a question. So I have this thing I call the magic question. And I, I call it that because it, it, it kind of changes the game, but it's really, it's really quite simple. Um, but it, and it goes, it goes in different versions depending on kind of my mood or how you perceive the situation, but it's something as simple as, you know, Hey John, uh, I know we have that information it's not a problem to get it. And we could probably make some pretty good looking dashboards from that. But before I just go off and start doing some work, I was just wondering, you know, what is it that you're looking for in there that would cause you to, what kind of decision would are you looking to make from it? Or what kind of action do you think you might take from that? And it's that, is the way to start opening up the conversation. So you're not really questioning, you're not questioning whether what they're asking for is useful. You just want not. clarification. Yeah. Can you clarify? Like I need to understand what, so I, I I've thought about this a lot, actually, this specific point. I like to, I would almost frame it of like, what game are you playing? What, what's mm -hmm. the scoreboard metrics? Like what are, what's going to move the needle mm -hmm. in what you want? And then let, yep. let me know that. And then I can, I can, we can get that key performance indicator up at the top and then we can break down, okay, what are the other things? What are the levers we can pull? So yep. for example, if it's sales, well, what are some, some, some different things we could target? Well, maybe the categories, maybe sales mm -hmm. by state, maybe there's a certain time of the month where sales spike so that we can park, we can focus our marketing or sales right. efforts to optimize. So exactly, it, yeah, I think that that's an, yeah. Uh, what would you call that? Just effective framing? 
Yeah, you could call it, yeah, it's 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 framing to me it's just it's it's a variation of what do you want, right? And it's 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 trying it's almost uh, one of the other actually if you talk about framing here here's an a different idea that I go through is I I and this goes gets into a whole framework that I created and and we won't get into the whole thing. I call it design to act. And again, you get that word act in there. Cause to me, the action is what you end up doing is, is ultimately what matters. But uh, part of the, the model, the frame behind that is to think about your work of uh, ultimately say creating dashboards, right? Cause that's the out, mm. that might be the output, the phys- kind of quote unquote physical output. Think about that not as a project, but a product. Okay, interesting. Right. And so if I was mm-hmm. to go on Amazon and buy that, you know, what should it do for me? You know, when I go on Amazon, you know, I I I'm trying to buy something that achieves something specific for me. You know, it might be to, you know, a pair of, of shoes. Well, I need those shoes for a specific reason. I'm not, you know, each shoe has something different it does for me, right? A sneaker versus a boot uh, versus yeah. a hiking shoe. Uh, if I need to buy something for my kitchen, right? You know, I'm, if I need to, you know, peel fruits and vegetables versus a pot, right? I'm not going to buy a pot to do that, right? And it's the same thing with what we do. So you want to understand what's the, what is the use of this dashboard going to be? And if you put yourself in a pro this product mindset, I think it really changes things because you think about all of the things that go into it. And so I, what, the reason I bring that up is because if you come to me and say, I need you to build me a product, what is that supposed to do for you versus make me a dashboard or get me the data kind of a thing? It puts you in a different frame of mind on how you approach all of the work of doing it. And it might help people think about how they want to approach this, right? If I, if I come back to you and say, you know, how, why I'm asking you these questions, I think it makes a huge difference. Yeah. So you're, you're essentially, instead of just being someone who's jotting down notes and saying, all right, you want this, you want that, you want that. Mm -hmm. You are a product designer. Yeah. And it's like, well, then yeah, it's, it's a much more, active approach to getting to the bottom of things like I, I think a lot of people and maybe this is more of an entry-level thing is they're just they're doing a lot of busy work and they don't really know why they're doing it but they just yeah. need to like check the box mm-hmm. um one thing one thing that i think a lot of people struggle with is how do you get out of that frame because i think a lot of people will just leave and get a new manager who sees them differently. I mean, that's one effective way mm-hmm. of doing it. It's completely wiping the slate clean and, and saying, okay, because the first person who hires you, they see you, at least they have the frame, they they have a mental model of you of like, oh, well, when I first met, you know, XYZ, they, they, they knew nothing about analytics. But then you get, you get that, you get a promotion or you move to a company and then the next manager sees you the baseline is, is much higher. Mm-hmm. And I think they're much more likely to take insight or just open to your suggestions. Do you have any advice on that? Yeah, I, I it it kind of, 
and that's there's there's two sides to the to this. One is what we what I mentioned briefly in the beginning. I think comes from the educational side. So it's even like you said, the new person. Well, if they're just coming out of school, the school's taught all of those hard skills. They focused on teaching you how to use Excel or some other software and, and to use R and Python and what have you, right? They didn't teach you any soft skills. They just focused on mm. how to do the those. At, so that's one thing that I think should be taught more, right? Is not focusing just, and I think schools are starting to realize that, you know, I've been working with several and they're starting to see that side of it, right? That, hey, we, in order for our students to be effective and for their employers to see that, they need to do more than just be good at the hard skills. That's like almost the easy part in, in a way. Right. So that's part one. Wait, before you go on to that, I do have an anecdote. So I went to a Tableau user group last night and I was sitting next to a hiring manager at a very large company um, who it kind of manages like the Tableau infrastructure. And he was saying that he is currently holding rounds at like the third rounds of interviews. And he had a candidate from had a master's degree from one of these top level universities. I mean, top tier prestige. And he's, he said, like, we were very impressed with, you know, where she came from, but there was no under, there was no soft skills and I, and no understanding of like the business. And mm-hmm. he, he said, I had to just strongly not recommend her because it was like, she had this huge stack of like technical acumen after technical acumen. But then he simply asked like, well, how would you use Tableau to solve a problem? And she couldn't even answer that question. I mean, that's such mm, a base mm. level, like, what? I mean, how, how, it's, it seems like it's a big miss right now teaching, you know, like teach, teaching people how to effectively use technology from a university setting. I, yeah, I think it's, and I think it's just going to probably get worse. Because you think so? Yeah, I think because there's even more of a focus on technology coming out of, you know, schools these days with all of the talk about, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence, there's just so much growth in that area that I think students probably also feel like they need to learn that. So there's a kind of a push pull, right? The schools, the school wants to attract students, right? I think they're doing a terrible job of that. I think people are dropping out of especially these like uh, very, very expensive schools because you can learn machine learning for free on YouTube. Well, yeah, but that's, that's why I said that I think the hard skills are in some ways are easier than the soft skills. Right. Right. But I think you can integrate them too. And I think also that's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's how you teach it. So for example, my class at NYU is called visual analytics with Tableau. Okay. Tableau, it's not tab Tableau for visual analytics. Okay, so it's the 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 focus is on getting the job done, not here's right. here's where all the bells and whistles are on Tableau. So it shows them how to do certain things in Tableau. So you're learning Tableau, but you're mm-hmm. learning it in the context of 
scenarios, right? Oh, well, hey, if I want to understand this, okay, how would we do that in Tableau? And how would we enhance it based on things like interactive analysis? Okay, we would do this. And so it it doesn't start with, oh, well, when you want to build a chart in Tableau, you do this. <laughs> it's, oh, I want to achieve this. Oh, well, to do that in Tableau, you would want to think about it this way. And you could do it three other ways, but also it's not just one way. And that gets back to this idea of, of communication and writing skills. Uh, if you think about visual writing the same way we do as writing with words and sentences, you have a vocabulary and you can string together words and sentences uh, to get the same exact point across, but using completely different versions of that, right? And you can do the same thing visually. You can get the same point across or the same data across visually, but depends what kind of effect you want to have with that or what how you want to frame the message. So thinking about visuals as, you know, writing components uh, versus the chart. It's like, okay, this chart, but this chart also might be working with another chart on the page, not necessarily a standalone. So you're, you're building out that story. So I think it comes, so that's one side. So we talked about, that's kind of the school side. The the, yeah. the work, the other side is from the, the, the employer side is that you have to build that kind of thinking internally as well, right? That you want to encourage people to ask questions and maybe that's part of the onboarding process at, at your employer is, you know, especially as companies say, we want everybody to work with data. Data is strategic. And that's a whole thing. We could get on a whole discussion about what that means. Data well, is yeah, strategic. Or if they don't that's trust a, the data in an organization, they're not going to listen right? to you. They're, they're going to say, okay, yeah. that's, that's great. But like your, your data is wrong. So I, I don't, I don't care at all about this. Yeah. And, that's, and also that's too, right. I think what's interesting is balancing intuition versus data. Cause I think that both, both sides of that have its their downfalls because mm -hmm. if, if someone has been in an industry for 30 years, they know something and there's some intangible mm -hmm. value there. But if they're not where I think the data plugs in is that, well, all these industries are co constantly changing. So that might give you some indicator of mm -hmm. where things are headed. Um, but I think yeah. a lot of people totally discount the intuition. Well, I think that's also part of when you get back to that, kind of line of questioning I was describing, part of that is to tap in, not as much just to intuition, but your knowledge, mm -hmm. right? If I come and ask you those questions, that's tapping into things you know about the business, right? Right. That, right, we want to pull that out. We want to be able to use that and not just have like People capital? Human capital, I think that's what they're going about. Yeah, I mean, part of it's human capital, part of it's just that, you know, and it's not just at that company, right? It's within it's within the industry. It's just it's your experience, right? And that, it, and I think that's what people call intuition. And, and intuition, I think it's really more experience than I mean. Intuition sounds like oh, I I see what's coming. I see the stars lining. Or my intuition <laughs> says this is what, right? Gut, right? It's really your experience that that's speaking. And when you see something, I think it's you... also lateral thinking too. Yeah. Like, you, like your intuition, it's like, oh, this has happened before. Mm -hmm. So therefore this probably is going to happen next. 
Right. Um, which, if it's happened... it's based on something, it's not just like gut where I just I think it's like you, you've seen it before or something like it. It's based in some something substantial, right? Right. And I think that's that term gut is probably probably the wrong term that got associated to things, right? Yeah. Gut just yeah. makes it sound like it's a wild yeah, gut. this is kind of what I think when it's mm. really it's probably very little of that and really more like I, I, I have a feeling I know where this is going. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's based on what you you've already gone through and may have suffered before through before. And I, I think that's where, you know, the, if, if the businesses can, can create a culture and, and I, and I use that term culture is hard, you know, Give people the flexibility, give them the training, give them the um, the expectation that you will think this way and you will ask these questions and that it's it's the right thing to do. It's not being disrespectful. It's actually being respectful. I respect your knowledge, mm -hmm. right? And I want to incorporate that into what we do. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not okay, like is, I know it all, you know, this is interesting. So we got a question. Uh, would you say that intuition equals experience or is somehow related? Like what's the relationship there? Uh, I don't know if it, I don't know if it equals. I would say uh, intuition comes from experience. I'd say intuition comes from experience. Yeah. Which, I, could, I could definitely see that. So, okay, this is, this is, bear with me, this is a little bit of a tangent yeah. here, but I was thinking about putting together a poll on LinkedIn and saying, should your college professor have run a business? Mm. Because I think that what you get in the academic setting is, I, I've read 20 stories about someone implementing a marketing campaign. But for example, I mean, this semester, so I launched my learning platform over the summer, and we're using that as a tool to like to basically do what you're doing in your visual analytics class. We're using Tableau to study the data, to come up with recommendations mm. on how to run it cool. better. Um, Smart. So I, over the past three months, I've spent $2,000 and had zero sales come from that. So I know what that feels like on a guttural level, mm -hmm. like a yeah. going back to gut and instinct yeah, right. to where if, if I like read, punch, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and also too, there's like a level of like, I'm super optimistic. And I was like, this is going to be a huge hit and it's just not. So there's like a certain level of humbling, mm -hmm. um, readjusting, like thinking that, that things are in order and you kind of know it's going to realizing, no, this is chaos right here. I think reading about other people's experiencing of chaos doesn't land on an emotional level, like going through it yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think that, yeah, I, I think that often gets yeah. undervalued. Yeah, but there's right, no doubt that I don't. I I won't get into the merits of that poll or not. But there's certainly <laughs> aspects of of you know, especially folks like me and you who are you know small companies, and and you you also have to do a lot more than just the work right. of mm -hmm. delivering. Right? There's a lot of things that go into making that happen. Behind, you know, we have our own behind the scenes things that nobody else sees and nobody cares about because my clients don't care about all the other stuff I have to do. Just, <laughs> that's true. Right. Well, they do. Maybe that's not, maybe that's not fair. Maybe my clients do care. As far as this better not get in but... line of the deliverable. 
from right. you. <laughs> Maybe they do care and they're little, they're empathetic or sympathetic to me, but ultimately what they want is what results. I promised them. Exactly. Yeah, they want results. All right. So we've, we've got a little bit of a hot take here coming from Raj. So Raj is a PhD in geography over here at uh, UNCG, so University of North Carolina, Greensboro. And he's saying he respectfully disagrees. Intermediate hard skills can be learned on, from YouTube, but not all skills can be learned outside of school. What do you what what are, what are your thoughts? I, I actually disagree with this disagreement. I think that um, school teaches you like basic level stuff. Even in grad school, you don't start learning the more sophisticated stuff until you're you know actually in an engineering role at a company and you're working with real problems. Like they might teach you frameworks, but mm -hmm. uh, what, 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 actually, I'll keep that up. What, what's your take on this? So my first thing would be to ask a question, which is, what do you mean by intermediate hard skills? Right. I mean, that, I hope that he's still in itself on is, so he can he can he can respond. In yeah, real I mean, time. in itself, that's a, a, a and I know he didn't mean it to be vague. Right. But to me, that's the kind of thing that that leads into trouble because it's like I immediately might assume, oh, I know what intermediate hard skills are, but he might mean intermediate hard skills for teaching, you know, uh, Excel or Python, right? So, oh, so, so here, here he is. So we forget that Tableau was developed in academia by researchers slash professors. I don't know. I don't know too much about the origins of Tableau. So that is that true. May be a valid, that may be a valid point. Yeah. Initially, it was. Initially. Actually, though, interesting. Actually, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, the groundwork, right? I mean, the groundwork of Tableau was was laid in uh, at Stanford uh, through a, a Department of Defense project. And, oh, I didn't uh, know. Yeah. Now, the one thing is, so one, so Christian Chabot was a student, and then Chris Stolte was one of the professors, but the, the third person, Pat Hanrahan was a, he was a professor there and a researcher, but he was also one of the people, or maybe the person who invented the animation technology um, behind Pixar. Wow. I didn't know that. So that's where a lot of the visual kind of knowledge came in about the, the rendering side of it. And so he was very much, uh, you know, involved with some pretty serious, you know, business and product aspects. So he did have the, he did have the real world side of it that you were mentioning, you know, before. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I, into it. I feel like this, this dichotomy that we've kind of stumbled upon of like your gut versus your theoretical frameworks. I think that's the, that's kind of the dividing line between private business and academia like in academia mm -hmm. you develop these philosophies these frameworks um but i think that's only like the it's like the egg it's like the it's like the genesis of it mm -hmm. but it doesn't really fully grow up into adolescence to teenage to adulthood until you put it out in the marketplace and you see if it if it actually stands up to some wear and tear yeah and and also from the academic standpoint is things change so quickly outside in the real world that right. it can be challenging to frankly keep pace with how to teach those things just just mm -hmm. the raw work of developing classroom materials and i speak 
truly from experience, and I know you do too, it takes a, a lot of work to do that. And so, uh, you know, you could spend a whole semester creating a semester of material, right? So you're, you're almost always behind. Um, oh, I, I have on. had if to... you were to even attempt to do that, which is not <laughs> what happens, right? Because usually it's like, and, and I haven't been teaching long enough to say that this is happening, but you may <laughs> have somebody who creates a class and that that class is taught for years, right? And nothing changes. They just do it. And then it just taught and it, it might not even be that relevant anymore. Uh, it, it's possible. I mean, I think so, I saw that when I was in school. I felt that way. Probably. Well, see, what's frustrating is that, all right, so Tableau and Power BI, Power BI, I think, is updating every month, Tableau quarterly. Um, mm -hmm. I've had to re-record all of my LinkedIn lectures, which is like mm. 60 to 80 lectures, something like that. And then right as I'm done doing this, Tableau again. releases a new update. <laughs> and it's like it's going to the market and it's automatically outdated. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's the Red Queen theory. You're running as fast as you can just to keep up. So I think that if I, if I wanted to, you know, create like more evergreen content, it needs to be the theoretical stuff that those frameworks. Yeah. I think frameworks, typic. I mean, they may change. Like for example, um, the frameworks probably all had to shift once the internet came up. Like how how run how to run your business mm -hmm. uh, pre-internet is way different than now the internet spun up and you can collect all this data. Like for example, like uh, tracking attribution for a billboard. I mean, I guess you could say go to this website, but before websites, like how do you know? I guess you could ask right. people and then write it down in your journal, and, like tally it up right. and say, oh, this is where this came from. But so Raj's got, all right, Raj, another example, SAS was developed at NC State. Um, so he, he, okay, he's agreeing with us and saying that academia should be more market aware, which, and we've all, we've got, Speaking of market aware, Matt Bratton is the VP of analytics out in, um, for a company out in um, Fresno, California. So I, that's what I love about this podcast is that we have like academics and then we have people who are practicing like out in the field and seeing them yeah. all interact. Yeah. It's, it's super fun. And then also too, people from all over the world too. That's cool. All right. Yeah. So nerd, I think I'll to, just to, to hit on a point, I think and this is a, a huge topic that I'm sure you're getting exposed to. But because academics is going to change so much for the next five to 10 years with everything that's happening over the last year and a half, where everything oh, that wow. people are adapting to, on, number one, the schools are adapting, have to adapt to online uh, because, that's, because that's just from the competitive nature. What does that mean? Uh, students who are maybe less interested in going to a university, you know, physically, uh, and then students who want to go to a university but live somewhere on the other side of the world and uh, can't. And so I think that's from a, if you look at schools, and I know not all schools think this way as a business, right? But if they look at they're a business and they have competition and there's many, it's not just other schools that are competition, right? It's just students who might want to go to the, go to a job right away. That, mm -hmm. That's competition for universities. They're going to have to change. They're going to have to adapt to, 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 to thinking about all these kinds of things. So I think we're, we're going to see a lot there where they have to become more product aware and think of themselves as a product, uh, even though yeah. they might not like to think about it that way you know, they, they are, you know, well, it, okay. 
I love this thread and I, I just had this conversation with, um, so I, I went through the startup incubator in, in downtown Greensboro's, uh, it's called Launch Lab. And I, I just ran into the EVP, uh, the executive vice president over at um, my co-working space. And I was talking to her about this idea that I'm having of an, an analytics apprenticeship program. Because I think the big, one of the biggest things that universities and colleges are losing out to are trade schools. Mm. Because mm-hmm. you can prove, you can say, hey, listen, you can go here for a year or two or whatever. It costs you, I don't know how much trade school costs, maybe tens of thousands of dollars versus hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. And out of the gate, there's way more of a demand for plumbers, electricians, skilled laborers, and you're going to be making $70,000, $80,000 a year. I mean, that that seems to be a huge threat to the way that academia is set up right now. And sure. I think that I'm, I'm wondering if there's space, if there's demand for an apprenticeship program in the technology. Like, are there... I haven't seen like I go I just googled it recently and there's like kind of an apprenticeship program but it doesn't seem to be really matured and developed. I've seen the the thing that comes to mind the quickest is a company uh, out in the UK Information Labs. Okay. And I think they may have actually started something in the US, but I know they started it out there and they basically have People come in, it's not just students, but they're students as far as this is concerned, Mm -hmm. and teach them analytics, teach them Tableau, and then they get dispersed. Either they become consultants there or they go out and work, you know, at clients, you know, know, get get a job. So there's some companies that are taking that on, uh, not, not as their sole business. Right. But as trying to figure out how do we close that gap right i mean it's we everybody's heard all the statistics about how much of a shortage there is going to be in our field uh, how much there already is let alone okay actually i want you to talk about this and we've we've got a question from noor that i did want to cover which relates us back to the storytelling thing but tell us about the supply demand differential because i have kind of wondered about this do you like have any sources or like like where are you getting this information from I've just seen it in lots of places. I think the most famous one is is a report. It's a few years old. They've probably updated it from McKinsey. They were the first okay. ones, I think, to really publish this issue, this issue about this massive shortage that was coming, and the numbers were huge. I, I forget what they were, but you know, it was uh, enough to start that people were. I would say more from the analytics side, but I think maybe even from the university side, right? Certainly the analytics companies were able to use this as, oh, you know, look at, we're going to help fix this problem because we're, we can help you with self-service analytics and it's going to help close the, the gap of people that don't know how to use analytics and things like that. So people were able to grab onto that as a kind of a, um, a soundbite, mm-hmm. if you were. To, to, to use it in, in its most simple terms as to, to how that problem could be addressed. But I think universities also use it. And then you see it all the time. I mean, every day there's a headline about how the data scientist is the new sexy job, you know, something <laughs> yeah. to that effect. That you, you, could, you could find those headlines in, in different publications pretty much every day because people 
uh, recognize it. I mean, it is it is a, a big gap. Uh, it's probably going to keep getting bigger. Uh, uh, the the more information that's out there, right? And uh, and 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 information is going to get more complex too. So it's interesting. Just, so my intuition is that it's going the opposite way, where it's it's going to be easier. Like there 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 seems to be like a core of analysts or in business intelligence or data engineer. Data is in your title, and then that's the core of it. And then there's an outer ring of marketing specialists, sales specialists. They're going to have to know data as well. And it's going to be, I agree. yeah, it's, it's, it's that it's going to be interesting, I guess. Yeah. At the core of it, it's going to be super complex. Like the data scientists, the data architects, they're going to be dealing with increasingly complex issues, but the way that the technology is going right now is that it's going to be distilled down so that like Tableau is a great example of this. Like um, you could learn Tableau in a week, essentially like the basics of it and uncover a hundred thousand dollar insight, especially think, if it's like, I, a, I think, I think that's a bit of a myth, but <laughs> you think, no, I, I just think to get interested. Well, I think the point that you're bringing up about this, you know, if you want to call them outer circles is more about, people whose job say is marketing to get better at using data, not necessarily the tools, but to be better analysts. Right. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's being an, again, being an analyst is a, is a real skill. And, and I think there's, okay. I, think I, see your point. I think it's a skill that you can teach, but I, I think being an analyst has a little bit of, um, I'll say you have to have a little bit of a knack for it. I always think that you your brain has to be wired a certain way. Like some people are better at writing. Mm -hmm. uh, some people are better at painting. Some people are better, you know, at, um, you know, athletically. And I think the same goes for people who are good data analysts, that they have a curiosity. They have a way about breaking down problems and thinking and that, um, I think you can teach a lot of that, but I think some people will just be, you know, they're, they're inclined toward it. And so the reason I say it's a bit of a myth to say I can learn Tableau in a week and then uncover a hundred thousand dollar problem is you're not going to make a couple charts and see that. I mean, I'm not saying it's so, yeah, it needs that You need that critical but, thinking ability, but I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is that if you stack your business acumen with some pretty basic level Tableau stuff, all of a sudden, it's like you're going from a two-dimensional picture to a three-dimensional. It's better, yeah. but still not being an analyst because I'm a good marketer doesn't mean I'm a good analyst. You know, there's still there's something so, in between. Okay, I'm going to push back on your pushback because I think that in order to be a good marketer, you have to be a, somewhat of a marketing analyst. Like it's so data-driven now that if you're not looking at the data, you're going to get left right. behind. I mean, pick something, pick a different field. I mean, HR, I mean, all these things, right? I, but I agree with you. You have to be yeah. good, but that doesn't mean you're just going to know how to do it or that you will be good at it, right? You have to learn yeah. how to be an analyst. I think being an analyst is a skill you have to teach people. You have to teach them how okay, to go through the thinking process and how to go from thought to thought and how to, um, not how to be curious. I don't know if you can teach someone how to be curious, but I think mm -hmm. that there's a, you know, it's like the scientific method. There's a way to go through all that data. You're not going to make three charts in Tableau and go, oh, there it is. I mean, it's a 
Yeah. You could have to go pretty deep and in and out. I mean, it, and it, it could take you weeks. It's, you know, and it's, you know, I think that's the thing is people get sold on this idea that I can take some software and I don't care what it is, Power BI, ThoughtSpot, you know, Tableau, whatever's coming next and say, oh, you're just going to do this and boom, you're, you're an, you're an analyst now. It's all, interesting. And, and all you, you know, I, I, I just think it goes much deeper than that. I think there's a real, there's real skills of, in being an analyst, just like there's real skills in being a marketer in being a teacher, being, you know, someone who's good at finance. I mean, those are skills you have to learn. What are You're the, just... can, what are the, like the high levels? Like, can you break those skills? Cause I feel like maybe I'm taking my analytical, like mind's mind for granted here. Cause and it's maybe it's just like a bias that I have of like, yeah, of course everyone thinks this way. Most people don't think the way that way. I, I believe. Uh, Interesting. Hmm. Especially think about how many people say I'm not good at math. I'm not good with numbers. You know? Well, I'm not good There's... at math. The thing is like, I guess the point that I'm trying to get across is that with like kindergarten level math and like something I could have learned within a week within a Tableau mm -hmm. class, I can uncover a $5 million insight in one of my clients. So it's not like it's, it's, but I guess you, what you're saying is that, yeah, that's true. Like the skills don't, I, I guess that's what I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uncovering is that like of that, like the, the four points of getting an analytics job, people overly fixate on the hard skills. Mm -hmm. And it's like, look, you don't need a, you don't need to build a crazy algorithm with predictive modeling and all the bells and whistles. It's like, if you can like, for example, th I mean, this is an obvious one, but I had a client who was selling Marine accessories and they were mm -hmm. holding that in stock all year round. And then I showed that they had like a 350, uh, $350,000 um, like inventory excess inventory holding costs for like half of the year when it was cold. So like though, and that's, that's just a very simple dual axis line chart in Tableau. Yeah. yeah. I might not call that a complete, you know, it, it is an analysis, but I, when I think of analysis, I think about really getting into understanding, you know, I might see a symptom or I'm trying to discover something and I really have to go through a, a, a digging through that to uncover it you're you're acting like a detective mm -hmm. uh at, at and, and trying to really figure out what's going on and and it's it's and, and i think you're as an i think you may have some of those more natural skills to think that way and that's why i think people can be analysts but i i think there's different levels right and i and again i don't think it's the you know, something like Tableau, and I'll just go to that because I think it, it is a good example, helps you do that a lot faster as well, mm -hmm. right? And I think that that was really the initial vision of Tableau is being able to move quickly and easily through large amounts of data in a visual way that, um, one, because visuals were good, it easier to look at large mm -hmm. amounts of data, uh, but that. Uh, the, the 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 framework for how Tableau works in this drag and drop model was a more efficient way of just working. And so the goal was, look, you can be an analyst and we want to make it, we want to take away the headaches of kind of organizing the data and, and that. 
but you still have to use your brain. You still have to think like an analyst. What do I want to ask mm. next? We just want to take a lot of the hassle away from being able to get to that next step so that you can kind of keep moving your, your thinking along and not get distracted by the technology and how to, you know, wrangle these cells and transform things and you know, all, all, all the things that you might've had to do in Excel before that were time consuming and difficult and, and so on. Right now it's almost commonplace back then when Tableau came out, that, that model didn't really exist. Right. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much Excel everywhere I mean, for the yeah. most part and PowerPoint, but PowerPoint was the same as Excel in terms of, you know, manipulating information is all the same universe. True. All right. So let's pull this one question in and then we can close out on this one. Yeah. So Noah asks, uh, why does a data analyst need to be a good storyteller? Uh, you create the dashboard after gathering and processing the data and you send it to your manager and that's it, right? <laughs> I'm, not like sure if they're being, I'm not sure if they're being literal or being sarcastic. Yeah, yeah. see, that's... As a story, as a storytelling point, nuance you can't see tone via text. Yeah, so I can't I tell would, if it's sarcasm would, or not. Yeah, um, I mean maybe in some companies, uh, but if you think about what you mean to be a good storyteller, is it that? Excuse me, you're upfront doing the. <laughs> ooh, excuse me, you're doing the storytelling. Bless you. Uh, I'm not allergic to this question. This is a question I love. Uh, that you're uh, up there doing the storytelling um, in front of a group of people or that it has to live on its own, right? And so that I actually have to prepare it in a way that if I give it to, in your case, my manager, that they can either one, look at it on their own without me narrating per se, that they can follow the story, they can read it and understand what's there, or if it gets sent around, that it can also live on its own without that explanation. Uh, it's mm. not to send them a dashboard and then say, "Hey, I sent you the dashboard. You figure out what's going on in here." Right. Okay? I say that's my job as the analyst is to present the not just to make the charts but to present it in a way that makes that next person's job easier. Not mm. to just say, again, it goes back all the way to the beginning, what we're talking about versus what, what someone asks for versus what they want, right? I might ask you for the charts. That's not what I want. What I want is answers. What I want is for you to make my job easier. Yeah. What I want is for you to make me look good to my boss, you know, right? What is it that, that person wants is critical to know versus what they asked you for. And that goes all the way back to that questioning and at, and finding out from people, what are you going to do with this? When I give it to you, what are you trying to get out of it? Uh, is, is so, and, it, and it's going to be different in every situation too. Uh, so it's not like you can just say, Oh, well, I know I did this for, for them last time. I'll just do the same thing again because you don't know. Maybe it's for something different. Maybe it's for a different talk that they're doing. Maybe it's to go get VC funding for a project or, you know, to ask for money for something, you know, it, 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 it's always different. And you can't, you can't, if you just assume what it is, you're, you, you almost always know it's coming back. 
right. and you're going to do it again. And that's where the, this job gets frustrating is. And I think, you know, you asked me before, how did you kind of, what was your experience? And I think that was always it is it, we would do the work. And at some point then, you realize I'm going in circles here. We're wasting a lot of time, money, energy. Nobody's happy. There's got to be a better way. I love your analogy of the, it's see it as a product because when I launched my learning platform, we did a beta launch. So I, before it was even fully developed, I was getting feedback on if I was headed in the right direction. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's, that's how I approach building out data infrastructure and dashboards for my clients. It's like, Hey, here's a prototype. Um, I just wanted to get this out in front of you to get your take on it. And then they start interacting with it. And then a lot of times it awakens questions in them that they didn't even know they had. And then they start using it and they're like, Oh, this could be really useful. So it's um, yeah. I mean, I, it gets back to that first point you pointed out of influence. Yeah. Like it's much you, better if you just develop the whole thing and spend a lot of time developing it and giving it to them. And then they tell you, they ask you all these questions and you have to go rework it. It's much better that way. That, that was, that's definitely sarcasm, <laughs> right? But that's what we do again. Yeah, it yeah. goes back to, that's what we do is we, we, people develop it, they build it. And what you're talking about is something that's much more agile. Hey, I'm going right. to, I'm going to make some of it and I know it's not finished, but I'm going to let you use it because I rather you find out or ask me questions or tell me something I did wrong. Maybe I didn't understand something that, from you. Uh, better to get it out soon in the beginning before I spend tons of time building it or especially trying to make it pretty, right? We spend a lot of time fiddling with pixels on these things now, right? And why well, do that if I'm going to tear it all down? That's just really wasted energy. So uh, make something yeah. more functional, operational, let you try it out, see that it's good. I can always add the the icing and the stuff that makes it look good at the end, that that's that should be the last thing I worry about, uh, but we get right. drawn, we get we get drawn into that very quickly. So, well, I mean, I see that all the time in the entrepreneurship space. People will build their own business in a vacuum for mm -hmm. I don't know a year, two years, three years, and then put everything into it, and their ego invested, and then put it out to the market, and then no one buys it, and they're crushed. Yeah. It's like you should have you should have done the because the, it's the way that the internet works now. Like you do the the beta launches and you get feedback instead of right. Just this huge. I mean, it also mitigates risk too. Like you could, and well, actually, this is a this is a really good point from a kind of like a career strategy standpoint. If you are spending out a hundred hours building out this infrastructure that is garbage, and you have to go and spend another hundred hours again. You mm -hmm. are wasting your company's money. Sure, like you sh you you should be plugged in and you should be iterating, and that way it's like okay, well I, I hit it and it's right here, and I just need to get it right over here, and mm -hmm. that's that's such a small adjustment versus well you you're here and then you just kept going and you're you've way overshot it, and then not only have you spent that time building it out, but then you're going to have to undo what you did, and it's just it's just a headache. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's uh, and a lot of companies are doing things more in an agile fashion when they're building their real products. Mm -hmm. But when we do it with our analytics, we we don't think about it that way. So that's why I kind of threw that idea out there. Is it it really brings a different mindset about how do you approach your work? Do you think that's ignorance or arrogance? Mm, I don't think either. 
I think it's just a different way of thinking. Well, um, but the people who are building out these these visualizations, either they they feel like they know better, or mm. the, do, you, do you understand how I'm framing yeah. the question? Or like they don't know that that's not the way that it's, it's the most effective to approach that. I think a lot of I think I have a I think a lot of it is more legacy. This, mm. The old way of doing things is it's it's still there and no one's breaking that yet. Uh, and so I think there's like anything, and it's not just analytics, right? I think any any organization where it's always well, that's just kind of how we've done it. And until someone goes in and 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 really forces it to change, doesn't change, right? And I think yeah. we're I think I think our our space is getting ready for something similar where analytics has to change how it does its its work, uh, not just from a technology standpoint, but from all of the things we've covered today. Yeah, true. Well, Lee, this has been fantastic. What's the best yeah, place for people to it. find you? I'm sorry, say that again? What's the best place for people to find you? Uh, decisionviz.com or uh, I've got a YouTube channel. Uh, just search for Decision Viz on YouTube, and those are the two best places to find me. Or LinkedIn, of course. Awesome, cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. Also, everyone yeah, in the live it. chat, thanks, thanks for your questions. It just makes the conversation so much more lively and interactive. Kind of like what we're talking about with the uh, being plugged in and iterating quickly. Like, exactly. If my question's going off the rails, I can have my audience come in and be like, <laughs> no, this is interesting. All yeah. right. Well, I hope you have a good day and I'll see everyone in the live chat next time. See ya. Excellent. So long. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.